Hello, this is Nun Gomes from the Academic Observer on Economics, Business and Finance. And today we're going to be conjuring a few topics relating to the U.S. economy. Uh, we've got the recent trickle-up economic approaches and also, more importantly, the Federal Reserve because we're going to be talking mainly about uh, monetary policies and behavior, which have, to some extent, uh, cornered America and many other countries into very difficult situations. Now, for those that know economics, uh, it's just a basic economic term. It's, uh, monetary policies are only linked uh, with the central bank. It's money supply. It's the credits for the economy. So, of course, we could focus on other countries, other regions, uh, Lagarde with the ECB, uh, European Central Bank, you've got the United Kingdom. But since the dollar is the world's currency reserve, we'll be focusing on the United States. Now, uh, after this, we'll be exploring how the this economic scenario uh, from American specific could result in something called uh, Japanification, which is a popular term uh, used by economies um, that refers, for example, when a country falls into a deflationary trap of collapsed demand. And uh, to give you some context, this happened uh, during the lost decade in Japan in the 90s, uh, where the country faced a, a strong, a stagnative period um, due to their acid price uh, bubble uh, collapse. And you'll see that there's a, a direct link between these two, and it's it's directly linked to the Federal Reserve's uh, behavior and reactions during this past uh, decade. So I hope you guys enjoy it. So Wednesday last week, the Fed announced that it would keep its benchmark interest rates near the zero mark, despite the increasing inflationary measures. Now, for those that study economics like myself, we have learned throughout the years that keeping interest rates low is not the most effective of solutions to tackle inflationary pressures, right? But here is a short trench of John Williams. He works at the Federal Reserve in New York explaining why this might not be the case. The people who uh, see me talk at this in prior years, I've talked about how you need to throw away your old textbooks and talking about monetary policy, that you got to get away from looking at the traditional view of monetary policy of, you know, the, in terms of uh, reserve requirements, in terms of maybe even setting interest rates. And I think I emphasized a few years ago that there were actually 14 different monetary policy tools on the Board of Governors website, not just the three that were in the textbook. So uh, John is basically saying that there are new tools used by the Fed that we don't necessarily learn in our school books because they happened after 2008. So all the textbooks that were published before this period did not implement this sort of tools. And the reason for this is that the Fed really transitioned from operating with scarce reserves to having ample reserves, which is a term referring to abundancy of reserves, as the name suggests, which causes excess liability. In fact, after their third round of QE, in 2015 to try and solve this problem the fed's reserves topped 2.8 trillion this is a huge rise from the 45 billion dollars they had kept in reserves before the crisis hit and again this is a, a tremendous discrepancy it goes from the billions to the trillions in just over a year and well as a result the federal funds rate was also affected it uh, it dropped from five percent and went to the zero percent margins ever since this happened and it's been like this for over a decade now you can see this in figure one on my social media posts as i did last episode this uh, diagram will show the effect of federal funds rate and the target rate over the years and you'll actually see something interesting it's like a, a fun fact the target rate stopped existing 
after 2008. It was actually discontinued. And why is that? Well, because the Fed couldn't really control it anymore. It was too high of an amount in their reserves to regulate using a rate. So what this caused was basically interbank loans between commercial banks. They lost their own traction because they, they weren't receiving interests when they loaned money to each other because this federal funds rate was of no use anymore. So as a result, the US Congress passed a few more policies, such as the IOER, which imposes interest rates on reserves themselves. And what this does is it would incentivize interbanks to loan to other banks at higher interest rates than those set by the IOER, so they wouldn't lose money. But of course, due to legality and other things, it really didn't get um, the practice that the Fed wanted. But they still passed other mechanisms to control interest rate on reserves, such as the overnight reverse repurchase agreements, or repo rates for short. They're quite popular actually, where the central bank offers securities with interest overnight to the banks. So the banks are actually crediting from this, and it's a way to stimulate the reserve and decrease it gradually. So again, while they're not using the federal funds rate, they managed to use these two mechanisms to sort of control uh, their reserves. But you can see from all of this that although it's a smart idea in general, it is somewhat confusing. Uh, and uh, you can see that the Fed is kind of lost as it transitions from the billions of dollars to the trillions of dollars. They're almost operating in a trial and error basis. And it's, it's important to notice that they're basically a moving in uncharted territory uh, for themselves. They've never been in such a situation. And this will prove valuable as we talk about normalization later down this episode. Okay, so by now we've talked about how the Fed has decided to sort of improvise by using the IOER and the repo rates instead of their uh, federal fund rates because of the excess in their reserves. But something we haven't mentioned now, but I think it's important, is that they seek to normalize again from their monetary loosening policies that they had to implement during the crisis. Of course, they want to reduce their reserves from the $2.8 trillion that they had all the way back to the normal reserve of the uh, billions of dollar range. So at the time it was $45 billion. And that's exactly what the Fed did. They pursued uh, this sort of act, which they called the monetary policy normalization. Now, one way to do this is by gradually waiting for the bonds, mortgages and treasuries that they purchased beforehand to reach their full maturity and expire. Uh, in that way, they're reducing their uh, reserves and, uh, and it decreases at a slow rate, but it doesn't hurt the economy directly. And when I talk about these bonds, mortgages and treasuries, it's exactly those that they had to purchase during the crisis to stimulate the economy. So when they expire in a way, they're reducing that excess of the reserve. At the same time, and as, I, as we just talked about, they used the IOER and the repo rates by increasing them by 0.25 basis points every quarter. So while they can't really control the federal fund rate, they use the two other mechanisms and they increase them gradually to also solve their uh, problem in their reserves and normalize, of course. And this happened between 2012 all the way to 2019. And it does sound theoretically like the ideal plan of normalization for those that are familiar with this sort of policy making. 
And indeed, they saw a good improvement. They decreased the federal funds from 2.8 trillion to 1 trillion approximately. So it was already improving. And uh, we can see this in the figure 2 and figure 3. And uh, while well, the first diagram will show the IOER and the repo rates rising, and the other diagram will illustrate the effect it had on the economy. So it will, it will talk about the total assets in US dollars as a result for them uh, trying to reduce the reserves. Now, I won't get into too much more detail uh, about how it works, the, the, the logistics of this, because it can be extremely complex to explain further, but it does show how they've been trying to normalize until 2019. And of course, what happened after was the COVID-19 pandemic, which completely distorted and disruptive, uh, disrupted their plan for normalization. Okay, now remember the Fed's approach so far. It's always been tightening its own liquidity problem and solving its reserve situation. But we also have to remember that the, this body of the government can be very modular and adaptive and very reactive to what is happening to its economy. So it's no surprise that in 2019, the government decided to deepen its public debt and inject liquidity to the markets, increasing the federal funds. Yes. This goes very much against the plan of normalization they had set since 2012. It's an unfortunate event. But if the Fed keeps raising its, its rates to lower its reserves, yet aggressively injects more capital into the economy, it is distorting and causing dangerous volatilities to the economy itself. It just doesn't work. Now, remember what we said, that this would be the most healthy solution, increasing rates. Well, I said this because by looking at the Fed's bulletin of 2014, they had planned to target the rate set by the Fed um, to the 3 to 4 percent mark by 2017. But the truth is, it remained close to zero ever since 2012. No matter what they predicted as target rates, they have never increased it as the Fed, Fed planned. It was all just for show not practice because remember we even stated this that the they only increase interest by 0.25 basis points the ioer and you can see this in figure four on my social media if you want to see the target rate set by the fund and how different they are from reality now if i told you they released a new one in 2020 where they predict target rates to reach three percent by 2024 just like they said three percent by 2017 do you believe it? Well, from past objective data, not at all. Now, I'm not, of course, normalizing this radically is necessary, very necessary indeed, because the truth is that federal fund balance sheet is no longer at $2.8 trillion. That's a small figure now. It's all the way at a record high $8 trillion. That's reaching the level of the Bank of Japan uh, during the phase of Japanification because it is a fourfold increase in just a matter of years. Now, imagine the Fed wants to normalize and impose those interests that they had targeted uh, in their bulletins, which is a responsible thing to do. That would be an $80 billion loss for the economy. Now, compare it with the 0.1 current interest they have for their interbanks. 
they have a loss of only $8 billion. See the difference? They prefer to keep the rates low, although they know for sure that the most responsible thing to do is to try and normalize and take that blow, as hard as it seems. But the reserve will keep on rising, because the risk for normalizing and increasing these rates will hurt the economy too much now. At $8 trillion, it's just not possible in the longer run. People say that, for example, QE is not necessary for the US, but the unhealthy reality is that it is. Because unfortunately, the more the Fed increases its reserves, the more it hurts when it tries to normalize and decrease it after. So, for every 0.25 basis points they rise, the economy will feel it more and more, meaning that the Fed will have to put a band-aid to its economy. And what else than injecting more QE to do so? Now, it's unhealthy, yes, but it's the only way to sort of make the economy forget that they're trying to normalize. It's too hard to normalize. They're going to keep staying near the zero mark, not in the two, not in the three, or the four percent mark where it should be. Now, before this, when the Fed worked with scarce reserves, injecting liquidity to the markets was much more purposeful. And so they could increase rates fractionally because it would be no real problem to the economy. Now, today with ample reserves, this is not the case. So now, if, if we want to think about what we've talked throughout this episode, where we talked about raising interests, raising the rates to reach normalization, or for example, targeting those bonds, mortgages, and treasuries to uh, try and minimize the reserves. The truth is, now with the 2019 pandemic, they decided to purchase even more bonds, mortgages, and treasuries than they had in 2008, which makes it even harder for them to uh, sell them instead of purchasing them. So really, they are in a very troubled situation. They're kind of interlocked in troubleness. There is no real solution to their problem. Their reserve was most probably keep on rising, and they'll just keep facing problems when they try to normalize. It will hurt the economy more and more as time passes. And one thing is for sure, when the bubble bursts, the impact will be like we never experienced before. So this was Nun Gomes on the Academic Observe on Economics, Business and Finance. Make sure to uh, contact me for further inquiries or collaboration issues uh, and share this if you like. Thank you for listening and see you next time.